are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 18th of May. Are you ready? We're going deep. We're going to the numbers. We're going on a journey. We're trying to figure out who is the best team in the West. Who should be the favorite? What numbers should we look at? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow. How I am David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan. All right. Get your paper and pencils out. We're, class is about to go in session. No, not really. But here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go on a little journey together. I've done the work. I'm going to walk you through it. It's not going to be that discombobulated. It's taken a few hours to get this done. I have gone through the eight top Western Conference teams who I think are all legitimate, frankly, title contenders or all could, all could win the West. At least it feels that way. And, or at least win a series. And looked at how they played against each other this year. Okay, let's try to figure that out. What, what do we learn there? The second part of our journey is we're going to look at all eight teams in the NBA and how they have played when they have their best players on the floor. So, for example, for the Utah Jazz, I've gone through all of our lineup data. I've taken Elijah Hughes, Ursan Ilyasova, Jarrell Brantley, Jawan Morgan, Matt Thomas, Mia Oni, Shaquille Harrison, Trent Forrest, and Adoka Azabuke off the floor. They will not see the floor in the playoffs. If they do, we have a problem. And then the secondary thing we're going to look at, because there's less substitutions, is how does everyone play with their best guys on the floor? So in other words, Portland with Dame and CJ. They're going to play 40 minutes together. Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. Denver with Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. Phoenix with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They're playing 40 minutes. Golden State with Steph and Draymond. They're going to play 40 minutes. How do those work? Those lineups look. So that's the journey. First stop, we're going to run through how every Western Conference team top eight did against the other top eight. Part two of the journey is walking through the lineup data and seeing what we find. So let's start with the eight playoff teams, Utah, Phoenix, Denver, Clippers, Mavericks, Blazers, Lakers, Warriors. That eight, how they played against the other eight playoff teams. The differential, the best of the group is Phoenix. Phoenix had a plus 6.6 differential per 100 possessions in those games, followed by the Mavericks at plus 3.3. It'll be an interesting note here on the Mavs in a second. Followed by the Jazz at plus 3.2. Followed by the Clippers at 2.6. The Lakers minus 1.3. Denver minus 3.1. Warriors minus 5. And Blazers minus 6. Okay, but let's look at each of these teams kind of based on seeding. So the Jazz had a 113.5 offensive rating 
and a 110 defensive rating against the seven other Western Conference teams. What jumps out here is that defensive rating's not very good. In fact, it's not elite. It's the fourth best defensive rating of any of these eight other teams against each other. So it's just kind of a middle-of-the-pack defensive rating. We weren't we weren't defensively dominant against the other best teams. They have players that can exploit our defense. Our effective field goal percentage, which was best in the NBA, is only fifth best of the eight teams here. We don't shoot as well. We only shoot 36.6% from three against these other seven teams. That's in contrast to what we did during the season when we were a 40, basically a 40% in, in key times of the game, a little under for the entire season, uh, 40% three-point shooting team. So we dropped to 36.6% on our three-point shooting. We were still the best def- offensive rebounding team around. We were the number three or four, number four defensive rebounding team, so middle of the pack. Interestingly, we took care of the ball really well for all of our worry about turnovers all year that we just kind of find the one thing we're not good at and continue to harp on it because that's what fans and media do, um, including myself, is we're, we actually turned over 13.1. Only three teams were better. We still took 49% of our th- shots as threes. The biggest eye-opener to me was that we didn't get out and get fast break points at nearly the rate we usually do. So if you compare it to our season, our offensive rating was 1.8 points less good against the best teams, but our defense allowed five points more per 100 possessions against the best teams. Our effective field goal percentage was down two percentage points, Our three-point percentage was down three and a half. Our offensive rebounding was actually up a little bit. Our defensive rebounding was actually up a little bit. Our turnover rate was down. Our percentage of shots we took at threes was right on our normal number, and our fast breaks were down. We did lose seven of our last 11 against teams of this caliber. So my big takeaway there for you is two things that jump out that are a little disturbing. One, our three-point shooting was not nearly as good against the best teams of the West, and our defense was not nearly as good against the best teams of the West. Now, sure, Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell didn't play some of the games the same way everybody else was missing games. We'll try to address that in a second. That'll be more positive when we look at a second, but it does kind of get into, there's some noise on all of this data. Like the noise here is, well, who played in what games against whom? And the noise in our next set of data is, well, what what did we do against the bad teams compared to the good teams? So we're trying to address half the noise here, which is who didn't play in the next set of data and the other in the noise in that data of what happens when you play the best teams here. Okay, so that's not great. Like I'm not going to like, that wasn't illuminating in any, like, that didn't, like, fire me up and say, hey, we're going to win the championship. The best offensive team against the other seven best Western Conference teams was the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks had a 115.4 offensive rating. 
The next best was the Phoenix Suns at a 114.3, followed by the Utah Jazz with the third best offensive team. So even though our three-point shooting wasn't great, we were still the third best offensive team. That's pretty that's pretty encouraging. Like if we can get out and shoot it, like all right, now we're talking. The Clippers were next, followed by Portland, Denver, Golden State, and the Lakers were far and away the worst offensive team in the league against the other best teams in the Western Conference. Worth noting that obviously they only played six games with before Anthony Davis got hurt against other Western Conference teams, but they lost four of those six to start the year. Defensively, the Lakers and the Phoenix Suns were both number one. The Clippers were number two, number three, excuse me. Number four defensively was the Jazz. Number five defensively was the Mavericks, who did come out very well on this. Number six defensively was the Warriors. Number seven, Denver, and number eight, Portland, by a large margin. By a large margin. 117.3, next closest was 113.8. Few notes on this of interest. The Warriors play 15% of their possessions in in fast break against the other Western Conference teams. So they run more than anyone else. Despite their minus 5.2, they won five of their last seven against fellow Western Conference top eight teams. Denver, since the Jamal Murray injury, lost six of nine against fellow Western Conference playoff teams. And the Jazz closed the year losing seven of 11 since the All-Star break, some of that beat without Mike and Donovan. The best three-point shooting team was the Dallas Mavericks, the second best, the LA Clippers, the third best, the Phoenix Suns, the fourth best, the Denver Nuggets, then Utah comes in at 36.6. The Los Angeles Lakers shot just 33.5% from three against the seven other Western Conference playoff teams. That's a pretty stark number. The Lakers are far and away the best defensive rebounding team. The Warriors and Blazers are the worst. The Lakers turn it over more than anyone else. The Warriors do as well. The Mavericks and the Blazers turn it over the least. The Jazz take the most three-point shots of anyone. Followed by the Portland Trailblazers at 46% of their shots. Dallas at 44 and the Warriors at 43 Okay, so again, to sum it up, against the other best Western Conference teams, Phoenix was 6.6, Mavericks were 3.2, Jazz were or 3.3, Jazz were 3.2, Clippers were 2.6, the Lakers minus 1.3, Denver minus 3.1, having lost 6 of 9 since the Murray injury, Warriors minus 5.2, Blazers minus 5.9. What this really tells you is the 3-6 matchup of Denver-Portland are two teams that were primed to lose in the first round of the playoffs and they now play each other. Tells you Utah does not shoot it as well against the best teams and does not defend as well against the best teams. It's a little daunting. Okay, our next step is to look at lineups when the guys that are on the floor in non-blowout minutes matter. 
This one gets super interesting and leads us to see one team that might be much more of a threat to be a big run than people realize. Today's show is brought to you by my friends over at Murdoch Hyundai. I'm currently driving the North American Car of the Year which is the Elantra. The Sonata I had driven before. That's the kind of nicer sedan of uh, at Murdoch Hyundai. And so this time I was driving the Elantra, which you can get into at $20,000 a year. Incredible. And it was the North American Car of the Year, and I have no doubt at all of why it's North American Car of the Year. And can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? The 40-plus miles to gallon right now, that seems pretty damn good. It is an the Elantra is an incredible car. The Sonata Hybrid probably gets you a lot more than forty. That's pretty great, also. The Elantra GT base comes in at twenty thousand seven hundred and eighty dollars. There's a red one sitting on the lot in Logan right now for you. There's another one at forty six forty six South State Street in Murray, and there's also they're down in Linden. If you're gonna stop by, please do. There's a Hyundai Elantra SEL sitting at the Murdoch store blue at $20,425. they are incredible. Every bell, every whistle you can imagine. Adaptive cruise control, four, uh, backup camera, blind spot monitor, collision avoidance, self-driving until you don't hold the wheel long enough, then it beeps at you. They're amazing. So check it out. The Hyundai Elantra is the North American car of the year. The SUV lineup is absolutely fabulous. As I am a big fan of the Santa Fe, we own two of them. The Kona is the small zippy one. The Tucson small and the Palisades, just beautiful. It's all brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. Email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com. We'll get you set up. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers for over 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for your auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules, brake pads, to tail lamps, motor oils, even new carpet. Whether it's your classic driver, your daily driver, RockAuto.com is the answer. Whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional, RockAuto.com is the answer. Because they give you the unique and easy-to-navigate old-school website That gives you the same prices for a do-it-yourselfer as a professional. So don't spend twice as much at a brick-and-mortar store just because the big chain store is there. You can go online. You can get it shipped right to you. Just do me one favor when you go to rockauto.com. Please write locked on on the how'd you hear about us section so they know who sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, part two of this research. Hope you're enjoying this little journey. I told you to be geeky. Let's start with the number one seed, the Utah Jazz. When you take the Jazz and their primary lineups, and you take Elijah Hughes, Ersan Ilyasova, Jarrell Brantley, Juwan Moore, all these guys off the floor, for a team, the Jazz are 11.3, percentile, 88th offensively, 91 defensively. Their main lineup is at a plus 11.1. The bench lineup that's killed everyone all year is a minus 14.4. The first substitution lineup that has as Clarkson and Favors in is a plus 8.5. The hidden little gem lineup that we have, which is Mitchell, O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Ingles, and Gobert is plus 21.2. No one ever thought that was supposed to work because Joe and Rudy aren't supposed to, or Joe and Boyan aren't supposed to work together. The lineup we may have discovered, or no, there's the Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert lineup. So actually that exact same lineup, but with Mike Conley instead of Donovan Mitchell is a plus 28.9. It's pretty interesting. 
You take our starting lineup, which is 11.1. You put Joe Ingles into the starting lineup and take Mike Conley out, we go to 21.2. You put Joe Ingles out, you take Donovan Mitchell out, we go to 28.9. Really, really interesting. And then the lineup we might have just discovered during the injuries of of Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, George Niang, and Rudy Gobert is plus 42. Every single one of our lineups, except for one that will play, is positive. Now let's go to the next thing. Let's assume Rudy Gobert is going to play 40 minutes a night, maybe 42. So any lineup that has Rudy on it is now a plus 15.1. And frankly, for us, I don't know whether it's more important to put in Rudy or Conley or Donovan as our other 40-minute-a-guy, but when you put Donovan in, uh, with Rudy guaranteed, we're at 13.6. And then you put Mike in with uh, Mike and Donovan in together and say, okay, we're going to play those guys a grant. You know, they're all going to be on the floor for most of the playoffs is a 14.0. Really, really good. Okay. So those are the numbers of the Jazz. Overall, 11.3 with our main guys. When you zero it in on our, on our group, we're either, we're about a 14.0. If you do just Mike and take Don out and put Mike and Rudy, we're 16.2. Let's go to Phoenix. Take out their guys. They're only a 6.3. They have no negative lineups. That's been the beauty of their team all year. They deserve all the credit in the world for this. They have found a way to not have, excuse me, they're a 5.9. They're a 5.9. 87th percentile. Defense is only 55th. Their defense has not been good. None of their four primary lineups are good defensively. Interestingly enough. Their defense only gets a little better when you get Jay Crowder on the floor with Mikel Bridges and do some other things with their substitutions. But their primary four defenses lineups are not good. Chris Paul and Devin Booker are going to play 40-plus minutes together every night. When they are on the floor together, they are a plus 6.3. Okay, this makes a really strong argument that the reason Phoenix has been so good all year is they've been healthy. That they're just better than everyone else when they're healthy, and they've been healthier than everyone else. But they're not... They're not truly elite, right? Like, we just looked at the Jazz numbers, plus 11.3, all those various things. Now... You know, the one thing in here is this does not equate to who your opponent is, right? This does not have to do with what you do against the top opponents with these guys on the floor. We don't have that level of filtering on cleaning the glass. All right, your three seed is the Denver Nuggets. Plus, Denver is a plus 5.4 for the season. Unfortunately, Jamal Murray, I have to have off the court. So, Bull Bull, Clark, Harris, Whittington, all these guys you never heard of off the court. They're going to play in their best lineups, by the way. Their number one lineup that they've had to play, which is Compazzo with P.J. Dozier, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic because of all their injuries, is minus nine. I mean, that's where Jamal kills them. They're terrible defensively. When they have Compazzo and Jokic on the floor together, they are a bad, bad defensive team. And even when they have... So their top lineups are all bad defensively. Their defense is in the 49th percentile. Offensively, they're amazing. But they're, they're, 
So now they're going to play Nikola Jokic and they're going to play Michael Porter 40 plus minutes all year. So now only lineups that have Porter and Jokic on the floor with guys that are going to play in the playoffs. They're still terrible defensively. They're in the 11th percentile of all teams defensively. They're only a plus 2.8. Denver, for all of the great work of Jokic, for all the stuff without the Jamal Murray, they are ripe for the taking in the first round. Right? We got their minus 3.1 against the other Western Conference teams. They've lost 6 of 9 against the other Western Conference teams. They're only a plus 2.8 when they have Jokic and Porter on the floor. They're terrible defensively. They're ripe for the taking. The Murray injury is a crusher. This is where it gets exposed. They've been amazing. I thought they could win the West. I had them as kind of my favorite as the West, honestly. But they're, they're ripe for the taking. Portland's got a gift. Now, is Portland capable of getting it? I don't think so. So suddenly, whoever wins the 2-7 game may have a really big gift. Okay, let's go to the four seed, the Clippers. They've obviously played a tremendous amount without guys. When they have their full, we take Coffee and Oturo and Cousins and Scrub and Fitz and Cobb and Gali and Farrell and Kennard and Williams and Patterson off the floor and have their primary guys. They're in the 98th percentile offensively, the 96th percentile defensively, and the Clippers are a 17.6 differential. Holy beeping, beeping, right? 17.6 differential. Is that right? No. 13.1 differential. 96 percentile offensively, only 86 percentile defensively. Now, you go and put Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the floor. Assume those guys are playing 40 minutes because it's the playoffs. And then they become a plus 17.6. We were really good. We were like a plus... 14 or maybe a plus 16 with Conley, a plus 11 overall. The Clippers are plus 13.1 and a plus 17.6. Their lineups that have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the floor, plus 17, plus 18, plus 32, plus 24. Doesn't matter if Beverly or Reggie Jackson's their point guard. Doesn't matter whether Nicholas Batum or Marcus Morris is playing the other position. Doesn't matter if it's Serge Ibaka or Zubak. But that eight-man group is unstoppable. Plus 17.6 for the four-seed LA Clippers. All right, we'll take a look at the rest of the West here in a second. I hope you're enjoying this little journey. So the Jazz so far come in at plus 11.3 and a plus 14, or if it's just Mike, plus 16, really, really good. Phoenix does not come in great, plus six. Denver comes in right for the taking. The Clippers peak out. What will the Lakers do? What will the Warriors do? What do the Blazers look like? And the Mavericks, who came out so well against the best teams in the West, how will they look as we continue? Well, let's check out some of the numbers at betonline.ag to see what they have to say on these various matchups in the NBA. We get our first games tonight. Our first game tonight is Indiana's a three-point favorite over Charlotte and Boston's a -a two-and-a-half-point favorite over Washington. Wednesday, we've got Memphis as a four-point favorite over San Antonio. I kind of think the Spurs could win that. And the Lakers are down to four-and-a-half against Golden State. That was like at six yesterday. 
the series numbers. Heat Bucks series. Bucks are minus 285. Favorite over the Heat. Knicks are minus 105. Hawks are minus 115. That one's pretty close. Clippers are a minus 400. Mavericks are plus 320. So they're seeing the same thing I just saw with the Clipper numbers. Nuggets are minus 105. Blazers are minus 115. So they're seeing the same stuff I'm seeing. The Clippers look dominant. The Mavericks, though, we just talked about good there. We'll look at what they look like with other guys on the floor. And the Blazers and the Nuggets both look right for the taking, but they play each other. It's all at betonline.ag. Promo code locked on gets you a 50% welcome bonus for first time users. That's locked on. 50% welcome bonus. And they got game props tonight for the Hornets and the Washington Wizards Boston Celtic game. If you want to play around with prop bets, it's all at betonline.ag. It's the place where we do all of our fun on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thanks so much uh, for the betonline.ag support. Lockdown Today is your daily podcast, giving you 20 minutes on the sports world and everything that you need. All right, let's do it. Here's our final walkthrough. So we go to the fifth seed, Dallas. We take Boban off the floor. We probably, I would assume that he won't play, though I probably could play around with that a little bit. He plays a decent amount, but... For them, I've got the guys I have on the floor, Dorian Finney-Smith, Dwight Powell, J.J. Redick, Jalen Brunson, Josh Richardson, Chris Dapps-Prazingis, Luka Doncic, Maxi Kleber, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Willie Cauley-Stein. I think they're going Willie Cauley-Stein over. Um, though, did he ever come back and play again? He like was out for so long with the um, COVID. I probably should check that. I actually just kind of crossed my mind. He, he, I believe he did. He played 53 games, and by the end of the year, yes, he was playing 13 minutes a night as their backup. Okay, so I want to make sure I didn't have a mistake. Dallas is plus 6.5. So that's a little better than Phoenix was at 5.9. It's a little better than Denver was at 5.4. It's not anywhere near the Clippers at 13 or the Utah Jazz at 11. We put Luka Doncic... And I guess Chris Apps Przingis is their second best player on the floor together. They drop to 3.4. Okay, so let's take Chris Stapps off and just put Luca. Luca's going to play 40. Now their f- Dallas is minus five is plus 5.9. 95th percentile, still 30th in the defensive rating. I tried to dig in and see, like, if Tim Hardaway Jr. is on the floor with Luka, does it make a big difference? Like, he comes off the bench usually if he's their other scorer. If you put him on the floor, and is he going to suddenly play 40 minutes a night? That gets the, doesn't do anything. It actually puts them down to 2.9. So, I think it's just a Luka question with his cadre of characters. Plus 5.9. So, the Mavericks go up against the Clippers. The Clippers at their best are plus 17, or... With all their guys are plus 13. The Mavericks are plus 6. The Clippers at their best with their main guys on the floor, which they will be for most of the series, are plus 17.6. And Dallas is plus 6. Dallas has been better against the plus teams, but probably gives Dallas the edge. Let's go to Portland. Take Anthony Simons and Ellerby and Trent Jr. Not on the team anymore and all these guys off the floor. And Dallas and the Portland Trailblazers come in 
as a plus 3.9. Not very good defensively, very good offensively. Dame's going to play 40 minutes a night. C.J. McCollum is probably going to play 40 minutes a night, I would say. And here's just, and, and, we'll, and so you put those two guys in, and now you're plus 6.5. Here's an interesting little one, and I don't think he can play 40 minutes a night. But if you put Nurkic in with Dame, now they're at plus 9.4. If you put C.J. McCollum... Norman Powell and Nurkic together, which I don't think they can all play 40 minutes together. They're now plus 15.3. They That gets interesting, right? Like, can you just ride that group, only play Ennis Kander 8 or 10 minutes, play Dame, CJ, Norman Powell, and Nurkic for like 40 minutes a night? It's against... Denver, it's not going to be easy, but this leads me to take Portland in that series. Like these numbers, those are pretty big. Plus 15.3 when you start to fiddle with it, narrow it down, and get it down to like very granular specific stuff. All right, let's go to the Lakers. Take McKinney and McLemore and Jones and Dudley and Kakak and and DeCumbo and Cook, and I took Wesley Matthews off. We'll play around with that for a second in a second. The Lakers, under this circumstance, are only a plus 5.6. But now let's do it. LeBron James is playing 40. And Anthony Davis is playing 40. Not all the time, but when they are both on the floor, now the Lakers are suddenly a plus 14.1. And suddenly you add Dennis Schroeder, and they're only a 13.4. Just because I love to do that to Dennis Schroeder. If you include Wesley Matthews in some of those lineups because he's a veteran, they go to a 14.4. It's inconsequential. They're the 99th percentile defensively when they have AD and LeBron together. They are the 79th percentile offensively, and now the Lakers go to 14.1. So now we have the Jazz at 14, the Lakers at 14.1, and the Clippers at 17.6 when they have their best guys on the floor. And Portland, that kind of interesting number in that group we just talked about a moment ago. Nothing too earth-shattering there, but it means the Lakers are real. Those offensive numbers were not great we had there for them in the past. And they've got to play some minutes without LeBron, with just LeBron or just AD. And those are actually, they're, they're, when you take LeBron on the floor and AD off, they're plus 8.3. When you take AD on the floor and LeBron off, then the Lakers suddenly are only minus 0.8. So their whole thing is LeBron's got to play 40 to 42. And that ankle doesn't seem quite right. So let's check our last team on this. The Golden State Warriors. Take all the guys off. Maybe most importantly, take Wiseman and Oubre off. And the Warriors come into this now all of a sudden without without those guys as a plus 14.2. What? Excuse me? The Warriors, with all the guys who aren't going to play, 
gone, and just the guys that are going to play are a plus 14.2 in 1,800 possessions. Not a, not a totally small sample size. Like, the Jazz sample size is big because we were pretty healthy this year, right? So we have our guys. We played 5,000 possessions. Phoenix, with all their guys and their guys off, was a is a 4,000 possessions. Denver, is, without Jamal Murray, slides down to only 1,900 possessions this year. The Clippers, without Kawhi, let, or without out there guys, but with Kawhi and Paul George and everybody, are at 2,300 possessions. Portland, without their bench guys playing this year, are at 2,100 possessions. So the Warriors, 1,800 possessions, not a crazy low number. Plus 14.2. They're in the 98th percentile offensively and the 84th defensively. Now let's put Draymond Green and Steph Curry on the floor, and they match each other's minutes, by the way, for 40 minutes a night, because that's what they do. They put those two together for all 40 minutes. By the way, the math says you should always play your stars together, and you should just duck and take cover in the other eight minutes a night. Like, absolutely. We should put, like, we're different because we're so deep, but we should put our best players, like when we weren't deep, uh, you should put your best players on the floor and then just put your worst players on the floor for five minutes, slow the game down, and duck and take cover. The Warriors are plus 15.4 when Steph and Draymond are on the floor together. Doesn't matter if it's a Mulder, a Bazemore, a Wiggins, a Looney, a Toscata Anderson, a Jordan Poole. There is not a lineup with Steph Curry and Draymond Green that has played more than 35 possessions that is negative. In fact, almost all of them are like plus 20. They're plus 15.4. The Warriors might be, just because of the greatness of staff, a real threat here. So here's the takeaway. Of the eight playoff Western Conference teams that have, with, with their main players, the team that has the best lineup is the Golden State Warriors at plus 14.2. Followed by the Clippers at plus 13.1. Followed by the Jazz at 11.3. Followed by the Mavericks at 9.5. Then the Suns at 5.9. Then the Lakers. Then the Nuggets. Then the Blazers. However, now let's put your two or three or one best player on the floor for all 40 minutes. Okay? And for the Jazz, we're just going to do Gobert. Because if we haven't learned anything this year, that's what matters. Okay? And so the Jazz go to plus 15.1 when Rudy's on the floor. The Blazers are pretty complicated, but I'm going to do Dame Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic on the floor together the whole time. That gets him to a 9.4, just so you know if I wanted to include CJ in that. It takes him to a 10.4. And if I decide I'm going to include Norman Powell in that, it gets him to a 15.3. We'll put it in a, we'll put it in 11. Here's the ranking. If you now know your best players, no injuries, are playing 40 minutes a night. 
The number one team is the Clippers at 17.6. The number two team is the Warriors at 15.4 with Steph and Draymond. The number three team is the Utah Jazz at 15.1. The number four team is the LA Lakers at 14.1. The number five team is the Portland Trailblazers at 11. The number six team is the Phoenix Suns, considerably lower at six. The next team is the Mavericks at 3.4. But let's get with Luka, but they're overall 6.5, so we probably should bump them up to that. And the last one is Denver, who's a 5.4 overall, but a 2.8 with just Jokic and Porter. I mean, really, the Warriors-Lakers game is everything we thought it would be. The Clippers come out of this kind of is the peak team. Utah's right there. Portland's tougher than you think. The Lakers are loaded. And the Warriors are kind of this stunning story when you dig into the numbers that are very different than what you'd anticipate. All right, that is the Western Conference Breakdown. Tony Jones is going to join the show tomorrow. Thurl Bailey, hopefully the day before after that. I might even lure in Kevin Kelton for a special edition before we're done. That is a geeky breakdown. Hope you enjoyed it here on Locked On Jazz. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of podcast Locked On Today.